You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. this morning. I don't know why I felt this specific message. It's, uh, but as I was going through the scriptures a little over a month ago, I came across this passage and it stuck out to me. And this morning, I'm going to be speaking on this topic, stitch work. Stitch work. And uh, if we could pray together one more time, ask God's will to be done in this place. I want him to speak to us this morning. I want us to leave differently than when we came. Many of you may have come into this place feeling overwhelmed by difficulties in life and feeling like what you're doing is not of value. What you're doing is just spinning your wheels. And here this morning, I want God to speak to us out of his word. Amen. So why don't we pray together right now, ask God to have his hand upon the rest of this service. Lord, we are so thankful God, for your wonderful presence that we feel in this place. God, we're thankful, Jesus, for everything that you've already done. God, for, Lord, for allowing us to come into this place. God, for allowing us, Jesus, to sense you and feel you. God, I pray here right now, Jesus, that you would continue to move throughout the remainder part of the service. You know exactly what your people need, God. God, we pray here right now that you would let your will unfold in this place. Speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Stitch work. As a child, I spent many hours sitting at the feet of my grandmother. Grammy Robertson, she could make anything with her hands, and it always amazed me. I would watch her, and she, she could cook. She had an incredible green thumb, of course, not literally, and uh, she could do anything. She could grow all kinds of plants. And she could sew and knit like you wouldn't believe. Hands just going a million miles a minute. And uh, every year she would create beautiful quilts and would donate one to the Empty Stocking Fund to raise money for children at Christmas. And we would watch on TV as her quilt got auctioned off. And uh, it would reach an excess of $1,000. And we would always be amazed. Oh, my goodness, that's Grammy Robertson's quilt. Just stunning work that we would watch go into it. And I was told as a child, I used to, I don't remember, I was too young, but I used to, I guess, sit underneath the quilt as she was making it at least once and pick the batting out. And, of course, kids put everything into their mouth. So, apparently... I also put it into my mouth at one point in time. My sisters thought it was hilarious, but then my cousins beat the stuffing out of me, so it's all right. <laughs> uh, but who knows how many lives her quilts have touched. I have, in fact, the last quilt that she ever made. She made it for me. And to me, it's more than a quilt. It's the memories of going through the patterns, the swatches of material, and watching her meticulously choose where they go. Each swatch of material, she knew where it came from, and in her expert hands, she knew where it would fit just ever so nicely, create a pattern. 
sewing, knitting, quilting. It's time-consuming, but something so beautiful comes out of it. You see, some people, they serve God by preaching to millions. Some people serve God by teaching thousands. Some people serve God by using their God-given talents to write songs and sing them to huge crowds all around the world or write dozens of books. Some leave everything dear and familiar to serve as missionaries in distant lands. Thank you, Sister Corcoran. Thank you, Brother and Sister Hanscom. Thank you for every, leaving everything that you knew as familiar going to distant lands. Others serve God by bringing food for the less fortunate, by changing light bulbs in the sanctuary, by balancing the church's finances. Thank you, Brother Roger and Sister Nina. By singing in the choir, by cleaning up after everybody's gone. Thank you, Danny and Bessie. They wouldn't want anybody to know that they do that, but they've been doing it for years. And there are some, like Tabitha in Acts chapter 9, who serve the Lord by sewing clothes. This is what stuck out to me. We read in Acts chapter 9, verse 36, it says that Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did, but it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room, and since Lydda was near Joppa and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room, and all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics, the garments that she had made, the clothes which Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And, when, and she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up, and when he called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. The first thing that we learn about Tabitha is that she was called a disciple of Jesus Christ. A disciple of Jesus Christ. You see, a disciple was a student or follower of a particular teacher who not only desired to learn as much from their teacher as possible, but also to model after their teacher, become as much like their teacher as possible. And for example, people could tell if someone were a disciple of John the Baptist without even having to ask. One of the highest compliments someone could give a disciple was to say, you are the mirror image of Rabbi so-and-so. We don't have volumes of books written about or by her. In fact, this would be the one and only time she is written about. But from this short encounter, we find that she tried as hard as she could be to be the mirror image of her teacher, Jesus. You see, the Lord, he didn't just go around preaching about the kingdom of God or the love of God. He lived it because he was and is it. He showed it through his actions, the way that he lived and carried himself. He was constantly teaching. He was constantly reaching. Luke says that Tabitha was always doing good deeds. The literal translation of the Greek says that Tabitha was full of good works. Full of good works. Good works are refers to general acts of kindness. But Luke said she did more than just general acts of kindness. She also did charitable 
acts as well. Those are different from good deeds. Charitable deeds are acts that relieve the burden of the poor and the needy. Tabitha was actively involved in her community, and much like many marginalized people today, their situation is very tenuous. They need to be very adept at piecing together all the components necessary to squeak by. That's what we say in Canada, squeak by. Sales on food, clothing at a used clothing store, a buddy who can fix their used and rusted car. The Native American proverb, it says, to understand a person, you must first walk a mile in their moccasins. <laughs> Tabitha connected with the vulnerable widows of Joppa. She wanted to help them, and she did what she could for them, so she sewed. It's so simple but so effective. She used her skills and abilities to help others, and so we see from this story, it became her life passion. She devoted herself to these good works. There's joy in service. There's joy in being involved in something where you serve. The one who gives receives. And just as Jesus said, it's in losing ourselves that we're able to discover our true identity. We come to realize all that is and all that God has made us to be. We're embraced by an emerging community around us. Tabitha, she knew this joy, the joy of service. More than just tunics, more than just clothes, her compassion stitched together their community. She stands as a sterling example of how we can be the hands and feet of God in our world, in our setting. But as we continue to read this story, we find out that this wonderful giving lady became sick and passed away. And her passing left a huge hole. There are those people who make an extraordinarily large impact in the world around them. We might call them keystone individuals. They're the glue that holds things together. Tabitha, she was one of those keystone people in Joppa. When she died, it left a hole. The community was devastated. And for those widows that were gathered there mourning her loss, the loss of Tabitha meant the loss of their lifeline. Discipleship for those widows was revealed in the service and witness of Tabitha. Her living witness demonstrated the love of Christ in a tangible way, something that they could grasp, something that they could receive. And she stands in his, as an example for us of how to live in the situations that God has placed us in. This is in terms of where we live, who our friends are, where we work, what we're involved in. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, it says, Whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. I can't tell you how many times I heard this scripture growing up from my father. He would tell me, Mark, never forget, whatever you do, do it with all your might. Do it with all your heart. Our lives, our whole lives are to be lived as worship. It's not just about what we do on Sunday or at church. It's not just about what happens here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Friday night prayer. It's about what happens all the time. God cares about everything we do, say, or think. And it all needs to be lived for his glory and praise. Tabitha had grasped what it was like to live like this. But giving all of our time and energy and resources for the cause of Christ doesn't make us right with God. Only Christ can make us righteous. It is his death on the cross and his resurrection power that makes us right before God. And yet, doing good and 
helping the poor, they're important. They don't save us, but as the letter of James says, faith without works is dead. You can say you were saved by the grace of God, but if your life doesn't show it, it's dead faith. Jesus himself said, by their fruit you shall know them. In other words, the kind of fruit, the kind of produce that's produced from our lives is how you will know who we are being discipled by, what it says about us. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So that others might see and glorify God. Our good deeds, our obedience to God's ways for our lives are not done to make us right in God's sight, but instead to bring others to faith in God. Tabitha, she was described as being full of good works and acts of charity. This was a person who was faithful to the cause of Christ. She was kind and generous in her acts toward others. She was just the kind of person that the early church needed. Why did she have to die then? Why did she have to die? And why did the church of Joppa, the community of Joppa, have to lose this beloved saint? And there is one question that pastors and ministers alike get asked more than any other. Can you guess what it is? If God loves us so much, why does he allow suffering? And sometimes it's a personal question. Why am I having to suffer so much? Or why is the person I love so much having to suffer like this? These are not casual questions that people ask to pass the time or make polite conversation. Often those are, who are asking this question ask it of deep personal pain. They are trying to align their faith that God does indeed love us with whatever awful thing has happened. And if he does, then why is this happening? If God is good and God is all-powerful, why does God let this happen? There are, of course, a variety of answers to this question that's usually given. Some are oversimple and ignore one end to the other of the equation of God being both all-powerful and all-loving. Or they sidestep the question altogether by saying something like, I don't know what God had in mind when he allowed you to go through what you just did, but it will be made clear one day. God's power is made clear in these statements, but where is the love that took on our sin and was crucified for our salvation? The stripes that he took for our healing. Other statements assume that everything that happens, both good and evil, is God's will. For example, God had something in mind for that young woman when he allowed her to go through that. But what the reality is, is that we live in a fallen world with a little thing called free will. Bad things exist and happen in our world because of the sin that exists in our world. When sin entered into the world, we go all the way back to Genesis. Everything became harder for humanity. The ground became hard to till. Thorns and briars grew on plants. Death came into the world. And with death came all kinds of diseases and plagues. As his creation, we were given free will. We are not forced to do anything. We get to choose. And with the choices that we make, oftentimes they don't just affect us. They, the consequences reach others as well. And this morning, God is both powerful 
and loving. He has the power to do whatever he wants, but his love won't let him overstep our free will. Sometimes it's difficult for us to reconcile the two, but God is both. And so bad things happen to good people. It rains on the just and the unjust. And this wonderful woman, Tabitha, who did all those good things for people, for her community, became ill and died. God didn't send her sickness, but he used it, as we will read. God works everything together for good for those who love him. This verse doesn't say that God will only work together for good the things that he has sent to us, but instead everything. Everything he will work together for good. He won't waste any moment. It is something that God works together and through for good. And God is not limited by illness or even death. We can turn to God for hope in our sufferings. He is our rock and our fortress. He's the one that we run to. He works everything together for good for those who love him. I was listening to that song that they were singing here this morning. I just want you. Over the course of our two years of um, two weeks to flatten the curve or whatever it was, <laughs> I listened to that song on repeat. I just want you. Every single time the church doors had to close again, God, I just want you. I just want you for myself. I just want you for my wife. I just want you for my kids. I just want you for my church, for my city. I just want you. Nothing else, God. And so during those services, I'm getting off my notes here, but during those services, Pastor and I and the couple of people to run things at the back would be pacing back and forth praying before the services, God, let it just reach somebody. Let there be people online that are listening and let, let your presence extend past these four walls. Let your presence go out past this place and reach the community of believers that are watching this morning. We just want him. He works everything together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We love him, don't we? And so we should expect him to work everything together for good in our lives. Tabitha loved the Lord and he, wor and he worked everything, including her death, together for good in her life and in the life of the church. A man by the name of John Wimber, he went to church and he expected dramatic things to happen, but they didn't. I read this story, and uh, I won't go into great detail about, <clears throat> about all of it, but I'll give you a brief summation of it. Uh, he had a conversation after he attended a certain church, and he said after attending church for three Sundays, he became frustrated. After the worship service, he approached a man who looked like someone with authority. When do you do it, he asked. When do we do what, the man replied. You know, the stuff, Wimber answered. And what stuff might that be, the man asked. The stuff in the Bible, Wimber said, becoming more frustrated by the moment. I still don't understand, the man replied. You know, said Wimber, multiplying loaves and fish, feeding the hungry, healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, that stuff. Oh, the man said, apologetically, we don't do that. We believe in it, and we pray about it, but we don't actually do it. Nobody does except for those crazy Pentecostals. This is a true story. 
Now, I want you to understand this morning that it is not about being called a certain denomination. What makes all the difference in the world is when we believe God at his word. Blind receive their sight when the church believes at his word. Dead are raised to life. Addicts are freed from their addiction when we believe God at his word. God, I've seen it in your word time and time again. I know that you're faithful. I know you can do it again. Your word says that you never change. You're the same yesterday, today, forever, God. So I believe you at your word. Hallelujah, Jesus. His word says that he is our healer. So we believe him for our healing. His word says he is our deliverer. So we believe him for deliverance. And as we look at our text this morning, we see what happens when someone believes God at his word. When Tabitha died, her friends sent for the apostle Peter. And when Peter first arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room where her body was being prepared for burial. What Peter encounters is a very emotional scene. It says in verse 39, all the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Tabitha was her Aramaic name. Dorcas was her Greek name. And we can surmise from this story that the reason Tabitha was known by two names, one Greek and the other Aramaic, was because she did good deeds and charitable works for all her neighbors and citizens of Joppa both Greek and Jew alike. It didn't matter who they were. It didn't matter where they came from. All she knew was there was people in front of her that had a need. And so she sprang into action wherever there was a need. She did more than just feel pity for the plight of the less fortunate friends and neighbors. She did something about it. She was full of good deeds and charity just poured out of her. And when she saw a need, she met the need for anyone. Tabitha didn't do anything heroic like Esther or Ruth or risky like Rahab. She simply served her Savior by sowing. In one of his letters, the Apostle Peter said that each one of us should use whatever gifts they have received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. James, he said in his letter in chapter 2, he says, what good is it, brothers and sisters, if a person claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. We all know the Nike slogan, just do it. Right? We know that. Just do it. If Tabitha had a slogan, I believe it would be something like, just do something. Just do something. She was continually at work trying to meet the pressing needs of those around her, particularly the widows, people who had no one to care for them. I can picture Tabitha looking at a beautiful piece of cloth. She picks it up, picturing in her mind all the things that she could do with it picturing who she was going to make it for, and then taking that thought and putting it into action, making that thought into a beautiful reality for someone. Just poured out of her. Easily, naturally. It was her lifestyle. It was just what she did. And as Peter enters the room where they are preparing Tabitha's body for burial, the weeping widows gather around Peter and put Tabitha's deeds on display by pointing to their clothing. Look, Peter, Tabitha 
made this just for me. Luke says that the women were showing Peter the tunics and the other clothing that Tabitha had made for them. We hold in our hands the expression of God's love shown through Tabitha's stitch work. We are wearing the charity shown through Tabitha's stitch work. In other words, the women who were trying to tell Peter everything they had on was made by Tabitha's own patient, caring, loving hands. Their tailor-made outfits revealed how Tabitha saw each of them as individuals. A lot of love and thought went into the clothes they were showing Peter. And while Tabitha's gifts were generous, they probably did not solve or alleviate the financial problems of those women in her community. But I am sure, as I can be, that she made life a whole lot better for them. How do you feel when you step into new clothes? When you, your husband just hands you the credit card and says, get whatever you want. Just put it to the limit. Get whatever you want. <laughs> How do you feel, men, when you step into a brand new suit? You put on your fancy bow tie <laughs> or a tie. You stand a little straighter, a little taller, don't you? New clothes were a luxury in Tabitha's day. And when those women put those clothes on, clothes that Tabitha made just for them, I believe it made them stand a little taller feel a little better about themselves. Tabitha's clothes made them feel something that they probably hadn't felt in a long, long time. They felt thought of. They felt considered. They didn't have to hang their heads in shame because all they had to wear were the dirty rags on their backs. They got to haul out one of Tabitha's beautiful artworks, something that she created specifically just to fit them. Tabitha's stitchwork meant something meant enough to exhibit to the Apostle Peter. It was her own unique way to let them know that somebody not only cared about them, but was willing to actually do something practical for them. Yes, the widows gathered around Peter, showing him their clothing that she had made for them, but it really wasn't about the clothes, was it? It was about her love and concern for them. The clothes were a representation of the connection that she had with them. Even in death, they still had a piece of her. Their clothes were a tangible symbol of the way in which she touched their hearts and lives. These often forgotten and overlooked women. Tabitha literally and figuratively wove her way into their hearts and lives. In these works of art, it tells me that she lived among them and interacted with them. She knew who they were and gave a coat when someone needed. But she didn't just make clothes and send them off. Verse, 30, verse 39, it says that she made them while she was with them, personally involved with them, Tabitha stands as a biblical model of servanthood. I absolutely believe that she didn't do it for riches or glory or to get a crown in heaven. I'm absolutely positive that she didn't do it to get her name in the Bible. Maybe if I sew enough clothes, the Apostle Peter might mention me. Dr. Luke might make mention of me. She just did it. She was in Christ, and Christ was in her. And when that happens, charity just pours out of you. You can't help it. You don't plan it. You don't think about it. You just do it. And here's the thing about being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Tabitha met the real needs of the people around her. She didn't go around randomly sewing on buttons or handing out scarves so that she could create an opportunity to share her faith. She met real needs for real people with real love and real solutions. 
She was demonstrating her faith through her actions. And no doubt Peter, he remembered the time when Jairus came to Jesus and asked Jesus to come lay hands on his sick daughter. We remember the story. We go back before the Lord even got to Jairus' house. They received word that Jairus' daughter had died. But you know what Jesus did? He continued on to Jairus' house anyways. When he got there, like the scene at Tabitha's house, there was people wailing and weeping, crying. Jesus, he told the mourners to go outside. And then with the disciples, Peter, James, and John watching, he took the little girl's hand and said, Talitha kum, which means I say to you, get up. Talitha kum. And in this story of Acts chapter 9, Peter takes Tabitha by the hand and says, Tabitha kum, which means, Tabitha, get up. And when he says that, we read in this story that she miraculously, she miraculously rose from the dead. And in this story of Acts chapter 9, Peter takes Tabitha by the hand and says this word. And in Acts chapter 40, Acts chapter 9 verse 40, she opened her eyes and says, Luke, seeing Peter, she sat up and he took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented to them alive. Unfortunately, we don't know what happened next in her life. The Bible doesn't tell us. But we do know this from verse 42. Acts chapter 9, verse 42, it says, Thus says Luke, this became known all over Joppa, and many people believed the Lord. While people were weeping over Tabitha's passing, God was weaving together a beautiful plan to reach even more people in Joppa than Tabitha could have ever imagined. If I could have the music come back at this time. The Bible tells us, we could stand too, I'll come to a close. The Bible says in Psalm 139, verse 13, This is David writing this. He says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you while I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God formed each and every one of us. He knit you together. He knows you by name. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The New Living Translation, it says it this way, for we are God's masterpiece. God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. God has been planning your steps before you were even born. He knit you together in your mother's womb and began working on a plan for your life. His design, His purpose woven into a beautiful tapestry. And someone this morning has been battling through things in your life. You feel as though everything God has been creating in your life 
has caught a snag and is beginning to unwind. You've been doing all that you know to do for Christ, and yet He doesn't seem to be coming to the rescue. In fact, things, things feel dead. Let me remind you here this morning that He's still moving. He's still proving just how great He is. How great He is. In His expert hands, He knows where every piece will fit together. The swatches of your life are being fitly framed together in His hands. And this morning, God is speaking into your situation that looks dire, that looks desperate. He placed this message on my heart over a month ago, began stirring my heart for it. I began to pray this prayer that God would make those things that were, those things that feel dead inside to come alive again. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.